everybody, Mike Dempsey here. It's NFL playoff time, and you can still win playing Underdog Fantasy by picking higher or lower on player stats at underdogfantasy.com. Sign up with promo code 1010XL, and Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. He's hacker. I'm a sausage guy. Yeah, that butcher shop with the juicy breasts. I like that. And he doesn't shy away from opinion. I have always liked Florida State. And now I do realize why people don't like Florida Gator fans. So if you're going to blow it out, just blow it out. But Shad Khan, the owner, didn't see it that way. Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. And a very good Wednesday evening to you, Jacksonville. It is Hacker After Dark, 1010XL, 92.5 FM with Dylan Denmark. The Hacker Ryan Green with you. Glad you are with us as we are now inside of 72 hours until the divisional round of the NFL playoffs. Four pretty good games, right? I mean, you got the AFC South champion. Of course, the Houston Texans taking on the Baltimore Ravens in Baltimore. You got, obviously, Green Bay fresh off their win over Dallas, now heading out to San Francisco on Sunday. You got two number one picks at quarterback that were forgotten about, right? Left for dead, Baker Mayfield taking on Jared Goff as Tampa Bay takes on Detroit. And then, of course, the big one, Sunday night, Kansas City at Buffalo, in what will be the first road playoff game ever for Kansas City quarterback Patrick Mahomes. So we're going to talk about those playoff games tonight. In fact, Nolan Bianchi of the Detroit News has covered the Lions for years. He's our guy up in Detroit. We will preview Tampa Bay and Detroit with Nolan, but I also wanted to get him on because of the scene last week at Ford Field, the first playoff win for the Lions in over 30 years. I mean, you had grown men crying in the stands. It had been since what? I think 1991 or 1992 since the last time Detroit won a playoff game. It was quite the scene. Nolan Bianchi was in attendance there at Ford Field last week, so we'll not only talk about that, but certainly preview the game coming up against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And, of course, we'll talk with Cecil Shorts, former Houston Texan wide receiver, Of course, a former Jacksonville Jaguar wide receiver as well. Not only about the Jaguars, but I also want to get Cecil's thoughts on each of the divisional games coming up this weekend. Cecil is in less than 20 minutes at the top of the 9 o'clock hour. We will have Brian Sexton as well from Jaguars.com. So we are absolutely loaded. We are glad you are with us as always here on Hacker After Dark, as we do every night. To kick it off here on HAD, we give you a big deal of the night and Dylan Denmark. Let's do that right now. Time now for the big deal of the night. What's the big deal? What is the big deal? It is a big deal. On Hacker After Dark. So for the last seven shows since the Jaguar season came to an end, I, like most of us here on 1010XL and like most of you in the city of Jacksonville, have been very negative regarding the Jacksonville Jaguars, and with good reason, right? It was the biggest collapse in the history of the franchise. There was certainly not a lot to be positive about when you have an 8-3 and three record and ultimately miss the playoffs. So there was a lot of time to react and dissect exactly what on earth happened to this once-promising season. 
And we will certainly continue to do that as we go further along here. But I thought I would take the opportunity tonight to maybe flip the script a little bit and try to be a little more positive about some of the things that transpired in 2023. Again, we've been so negative, so critical, all warranted, not saying it's not, it's all very much warranted, but I thought I would talk about something a little more positive tonight in regards to the Jacksonville Jaguars. You know, a couple of things that happened that we really haven't talked about since the season ended. Uh, Number one is Trayvon Walker, right? Trayvon Walker, who was thought to be maybe a bust as the number one pick, people thought, well, Aiden Hutchinson is clearly better, and and Hutchinson still finished with better numbers. But, man, I got to tell you something. Trayvon Walker, amidst that collapse in the last two months of the Jaguar season, really showed me something moving forward. I mean, when you go from three and a half sacks your rookie year to double-digit sacks in year two, that can only be a positive. There is nothing negative about that. Trayvon Walker started figuring it out. Now, we didn't talk a lot about it because we were talking about loss after loss after loss, but there is no question that Trayvon Walker began to figure some things out towards the end of the year. And I'm very intrigued, very curious about his development from year two to year three. I mean, if you can go from three and a half to ten and be a much more dominant player from year one to year two, you would think that rise would only continue for Walker going into year three. So I do think that was a positive that maybe we've not looked at enough over the last week and a half. Evan Ingram. Evan Ingram, 114 catches, joining only Jimmy Smith as the two Jaguars ever that have surpassed the 100-catch mark in a single season. Evan Ingram finished just two catches shy of the all-time tight end mark in NFL history. That's currently held by Zach Ertz. I believe he did that in 2018 when he caught 116 passes. Evan Ingram was fantastic. I mean, you cannot catch 114 passes and not considered to have a great year. It was a great year for Evan Ingram. Now, would you like to see those go for more yardage? Yeah, I don't even think he was a 1,000-yard receiver. So certainly, he caught a lot of balls, and a lot of them didn't go very far, but beggars can't be choosers at this point. And if we're looking for positive things, it's hard not to be positive about what Evan Ingram did here in Jacksonville. I'll even go to Calvin Ridley. Did Calvin Ridley live up to expectations? No, I don't think he did. Because I think my expectation, I think your expectation, I think our expectation as a city was probably too high for a guy that had not played in the NFL in 23 months. You don't play in the NFL for 23 months and your first year back You have, what, 76 catches for 1,000 yards and eight touchdowns? How can we really be unhappy with that? I think some of us were unhappy because, again, I think the expectation for Ridley was too high coming out of camp in the preseason. But you take two years off, you jump right back in, you catch 75-plus passes for over 1,000 yards, and you score eight touchdowns? Man, it's hard to be negative about that. 
So again, I think that was somewhat of a positive that has been overlooked amidst the biggest collapse in the history of the Jaguar franchise. And then finally, and this is something I thought about in thinking about the division games. You know, we here in Jacksonville, the media, the fans, all of us, the collective we, think the sky is falling after the collapse from 8-3 and three to missing the playoffs. And yeah, it's tough, man. It's tough. It's still tough a week and a half later. But look at the four teams that are left in the American Football Conference. The Houston Texans. Jacksonville beat them. They went one and one against them, but Jacksonville went into Houston and beat one of the teams in the AFC Divisional Playoff this weekend. The Buffalo Bills. Jacksonville beat them. Another team in the AFC Divisional Playoff, the Jaguars beat in London. Final score was 25-20, but the game wasn't really that close. Remember, Buffalo only had six points with like 11 minutes to go in the fourth quarter. So two of the teams remaining in the final four of the AFC, the Jaguars beat Houston and Buffalo. Kansas City beat the Jaguars by a touchdown. 17-9, Jaguars had the ball with four minutes to go, couldn't tie the game. It was a ball game till the very final minutes. And Baltimore, final score was what, 23-7, but Jacksonville was down 10-7 late in the third to the Baltimore Ravens. I say that to say this, as bad as it seems the season was when it ended, and it was bad, and it was, you know, whatever verbiage you want to use, embarrassing, maddening, awful, they all apply. The Jaguars were right there with the four teams that are left in the AFC. So it's not as bad as maybe we've made it out to be over the last week and a half. Jaguars had a lot of injuries. Trevor Lawrence was banged up. Jaguar defense did a lot of things they weren't supposed to be doing. That hopefully has been remedied as they've blown out basically the entire defensive staff. But just think about that as you're watching the games this weekend. As you're watching the final four of the AFC, Houston and Buffalo, Jacksonville beat this year. They're still playing. Kansas City, Jacksonville lost by one score. They're still playing. And Baltimore, Jacksonville was down 10-7 late in the third. They were in every game with every team that's left in the AFC. It's not as if this team regressed to the days of Gus Bradley. This team regressed to the days of Urban Meyer. This team had an awful six-week stretch that cost them the playoffs and that makes it appear like it was a disappointing, if not a failure of a season. And if you feel that way, I don't blame you. I'm just pointing out that a bounce here or a bounce there, it could have been a very, very different narrative on this Jaguar football team. Or an injury less here, an injury less there, it could have been a very, very different narrative. Having said all that, I'm pretty excited about the games. Let's talk about them with Cecil Shorts. He's a former wide receiver for the Jacksonville Jaguars. He's also a former wide receiver for the Houston Texans. What are they saying? In Houston, you know they got to be fired up, man. They got to be thinking they're playing with house money, right? 
No one outside the Texans' locker room expected them to win the AFC South, and no one outside the Texans' locker room expected them to be one of the final four teams in the AFC. I know we don't like it, but it's a pretty cool story in Houston. We'll talk Houston-Baltimore. We'll talk Green Bay-San Francisco. We'll certainly look at Tampa Bay and Detroit. And, of course, the big one between Buffalo and Kansas City. We'll also bring it back home to the Jaguars. Going to get Cecil's thoughts and some things here in Jacksonville. And that's coming up next. Former Jaguar wide receiver Cecil Shorts. It's a Wednesday night edition of Hacker After Dark with Dylan Denmark. The Hacker Ryan Green with you. It's 1010XL and it's 92.5 FM. Let's ring up another guest on the All-Pro Roofing phone line. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. It is a Wednesday evening, and we are glad you are with us. The divisional round of the NFL playoffs comes up this weekend. Eight teams remain. Only four, of course, will make it to championship Sunday. With that, let me welcome in my buddy Cecil Shorts, former wide receiver for the Jacksonville Jaguars. He's with us every week here on Hacker After Dark. Cecil, how you doing? I'm great, man. How about yourself? Cecil, we're good. Appreciate the time as always, bud. And we're going to talk divisional round of the playoffs in a moment. But branching back into wild card weekend, I had a couple of Jaguar thoughts that I wanted to throw your way. Uh, we sure. talked about Trent Baalke and Press Taylor last week, the GM and the offensive coordinator. Both guys appear like they're going to be back in Jacksonville in 2024. Cecil, I'm okay with that, but I would be lying if I didn't have a little more trepidation now after watching some of the wild card games last weekend. I'll begin with Press Taylor. I look at the Rams' offense, Cecil. I look at the Lions' offense. I look at the Texans' offense. And maybe more, most of all, the Green Bay Packers offense. Young guys, young quarterbacks making plays out there. And I look at what we're doing here in Jacksonville, and I have some concerns now. Your thoughts? Well, I think when I look at that situation, you got to remember at one point in time, things were working decently well at 8-3. and three. Uh, Was it perfect on offense? No, it wasn't. Um, but I kind of look at this as like, what have you done for me lately? Look at Jalen Hurts and the Eagles, right? They did start off 10 and one. Were there some struggles on offense? There was some stuff that was different, but you got to look at what they did well, right? I think um, for the Jaguars, they had to figure out their identity, right? If you look at CJ, if you look at uh, Jordan Love, if you look at uh, other young quarterbacks or um, play callers across the league, they know their identity. And one thing that they've done well this weekend, all those teams that you mentioned, whether it was the Lions, whether it was the, the, the Packers or the, or, or the Texans, they ran the ball extremely well. And it's, no, it's mainly off of a zone-type scheme, right? So having an identity of what is – I'm sorry, having a, uh, a sense of what is our identity, what do we do well, great. We have a guy in Travis NTN that can run the heck out the ball, right? So how do we develop um, our offense off of – him. What is his best run scheme? As our as our offensive line is uh, putting, probably got to rebuild it and put it to get put it back together, get a, a more efficient offensive line. What can they do well in the run game? Right? Is it zone? Is it a gap scheme? And then from there, you can build off the offense. And then from there, you're opening things up. If you solidify your running game, then the play action, then the boot, um, then all the um, 
quick game stuff can come off of that. But one thing I saw consistently from those teams that you mentioned, their running game was on point in the wild card weekend. Their running game, Aaron Jones, 100-plus yards. Uh, Devin Singletary, almost 100-plus yards. Um, the Lions running backs went, went, went uh, running ball very well. So you have to have that up front. And it starts up front, and then you can build from there because a, a quarterback's best friend, Trevor Lawrence's best friend, is a running game. If you can protect him up front, of course, that's great, right? But if you can have a run game where the defense has to respect it, then you you have matchups down the field that you can exploit, but it all starts up front. So I think finding an identity of what you are in the running game, then you can build from there. That's a good point. The Jaguars could not run the ball at all towards the end of the year. Again, we're here with former Jaguar wide receiver Cecil Shorts. To the Trent Balky part of that at the GM, basically the same issue with all those teams. Young guys, Cecil. I mean, you look at Green Bay's skill position. They're all young. You know, Houston, Brevin Jordan, a young guy, Tank Dell before he got injured, Nico mm-hmm. Collins, they're young guys. Detroit, you know, with, with Jamison Williams and, and Jameer Gibbs, young guys, uh, and just go on down the line. The Rams with Puka Nakua, my gracious, how oh, that guy man. fell to the fifth <laughs> round is insane. But I go back to Trent Baalke and even before Trent Baalke. You could make the argument that the best wide receiver – the Jaguars have drafted, dating back to 2015, is DJ Chark. No offense to DJ Chark, but he should not be the best receiver you've drafted in almost a decade. Balky in three years, has taken two wide receivers in three drafts. Jalen Camp, who's gone, and Parker Washington. He's drafted two tight ends, Luke Farrell and Brenton Strange. I mean, the Jaguars, to me, Cecil, are falling behind other teams in the draft when it comes to skill position players? You're not lying. I think you hit the nail on the head. I've, I've been on teams where they drafted receivers every single year. They drafted DBs every single year um, for for simply competition, for a possibility of them developing and see something in them. Um, but to only – wow, you mentioned it. It's Jalen Camp and, and Parker Washington. That, that's, that's a struggle, um, especially in today's – in this year's draft where there's tons – of receivers available. There's tons of skill guys available. Um, it seems like the Jaguars' focus has kind of been on on the defensive side, whether it's uh, defensive line, or offensive line, or, or 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 DBs, or whatever the case may be. Um, but I tell you what, moving forward, and then maybe two, maybe two, especially maybe the last couple of years, you had a Christian Kirk in, in, you had Zay Jones, you had a Ridley, right? You didn't have to go get a guy. Um, to be your top guy, but coming into this year's draft, you may need a, a future number one or a future number two um, in your in your room, in that receiver room, in that skill position room. Um, I think they did a decent job as far as running backs, but as far as receivers, I really think this is the draft to go get it. Whereas the kids from the kids from Washington, um, or 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 you got some kids from Ohio State coming out. It, it's, it's multiple. Uh, playmakers out there, and there's more playmakers. So my my thing is, when it comes to a receiver, and this this is taking people back, but there's so much seven on seven going on in high school. There's so much, uh, so many opportunities for kids to get better, faster, and they're becoming more playmakers, and they're playing, they're making plays all over the country, no matter what school they're at. You just got to go find them. Like you got to go find the guy's going to get here and be able to understand the plays and not have mishaps and understand the communication and go out there and can make plays. Um, stop looking for a particular guy. Stop looking for a 6'4", 200. Like just go find a playmaker or playmakers 
and bring them in. But that, that is literally the GM's job to go out there and find the players wherever they are and bring them in for Trevor to have and be able to use. So it's going to be something that I'm interested to see how they do this upcoming draft and free agency to see what they can bring in. Yeah, I give Balky credit in free agency at least. He starts losing me in the draft, and that's something that he has to get better at, and that just really stood out to me last week during Wild Card Weekend. Former Jaguar wide receiver Cecil Shorts. Cecil, final Jaguar topic, and I want to get to the divisional round with you. I've heard from enough people over here now for the last week and a half or so. I'm of the opinion that Anton Harrison is going to move to left tackle next year. And I think that's going to save them money when it comes to Cam Robinson. I personally would keep Cam. I don't know if that's the direction they're going to go because, again, I've just heard from too many people the idea of Anton Harrison moving from right tackle to left tackle. Presumably, then, you would put Walker Little at right tackle, and then you got to figure out the interior of that offensive line. But that goes back to what you're saying, right? It doesn't matter how good Trevor is or Kirk or Ridley or Ingram or any of these guys as was proven this year, ETN as well, if you don't have an offensive line, man, your offense is not going to do very much. So moving Anton Harrison would save you a bunch of money. Hopefully it works out if, again, if they do that, and I believe that's the direction they're leaning, but they're going to have to find some new starters on that O-line to solidify that. You you have that's, – that's, to me, the number one offensive move is to make um... – that offensive line, like solidify the offensive line, make them good. Because right now they're not very good. We talked about it. At the end of the year, they couldn't run the ball at all. They, they couldn't protect. They couldn't protect Trevor. He was ducking and dodging. And part of the reason why he was hurt uh, was because of the offensive line. So they have to figure out ways to, whether it's moving Anton to left tackle, great. Save you money, great. If he can handle that, he can do it well, awesome. But that's still four other positions you got to figure out. Still other things you have to solidify. Even Anton needs to get better. He's not the best at everything he does right now. So I need him to improve as well. Um, Walker Little, actually a Houston guy, um, went to Episcopal High School down here. Um, he needs to improve in some areas as well. So you have to make that your number one priority. That's in draft or free agency or whatever the case may be and develop the guys that you have and make that a competitive room to bring the best out of that offense. Because the offense is going to go only, only going to go as far as the offensive line can protect them and, and, and take them. So it's going to be interesting to see uh, the additions they add the changes they continue to make and think through, but it's going to be a huge piece going into next season. All right, Cecil, let's get the divisional round of the playoffs. Let's obviously begin with the team that you also played for in your career, the Houston Texans. They just wiped the floor with Cleveland. An unbelievably dominant performance, particularly with those two pick sixes. Now, it's a different animal this week, right? Lamar Jackson in Baltimore. In Baltimore, it's a tough task for a young Texan team who would have ever thought that week one Houston Baltimore we'd see a rematch of that game in the AFC divisional playoff do you believe Houston is of the opinion they're playing with house money here and whatever happens happens or do you believe that they believe they're going to go in there and they're going to win this thing on Saturday you know what I think it's a little bit of both like just being around the team there's they're young they're confident and that's a, that makes a scary team. They they have, they feel like they have nothing to lose, but at the same time, they feel like they belong. Like they feel like they're here for a reason. Like a lot of these guys come from colleges where they won all the time. I mean, CJ Stroud was talking to the media this week, like, yeah, when we lost to Baltimore week one, I was distraught because I'm not used to losing. You know, I win 12, 13 games a year. So for us to lose week one, I was like, man, what is happening? Um, so these guys aren't used to losing. 
Like there's, it's not in their nature, right? So they expect to win. They expect to go out there and, and play well, no matter what the circumstances are. We saw that last week. We saw the last two weeks, honestly. Um, Indianapolis was a, basically a playoff game. And then last week versus Cleveland, they kicked butt. And um, they are so confident. Um, it's almost like, hey, we belong here. Like, hey, we showed up. In reality, it's like, hey, you still got some things to work on. <laughs> but they're playing so well and such at a high level. And guys are being developed. I think that's the biggest thing that stands out to me. A guy named Christian Harris, middle linebacker, drafted last year from Alabama. Um, came on late later his rookie year, and then coming into this year, it's like, okay, well, what is he going to do? He has developed and got better each and every week. So he's the main linebacker all across the field. I mean, he's everywhere on the tackling. Like, it's ridiculous how good he has gotten. And it's, it's different players throughout the Texans uh, organization. You're like, dang, this kid has is, is showed his bud and played very well, has improved. Um, even guys like Nico Collins' his third year, he's improved so much over the – over this over this year and that's a credit to that coaching staff so when your coaching staff has a uh can develop guys and they see themselves getting better and when D'Amico is putting this belief in them that hey we can go out there and play with anybody it doesn't matter right also and to answer your question you're right they are playing with house money they're not supposed to be in a situation nobody in this world thought the texans would be in the playoffs this year <laughs> let alone going to the divisional round and win the afc south so um, they're definitely playing with house money. And I, I'm going to say it again. A young, confident team is a scary team to play against because they have nothing to lose. Yeah, maybe some pressure on Lamar Jackson. It's been well documented. Only one playoff win for Lamar in his time in the National Football League. Saturday night, Cecil Green Bay goes to San Francisco. I can't believe the Packers found another one, but it looks like they did. <laughs> I mean, are they really going to go from Brett Favre to Aaron Rodgers to now Jordan Love? I mean, oh, they went in there. Man. And they beat the crap out of the Dallas Cowboys last week. Now, conventional thinking is that can't possibly happen two weeks in a row, but what a statement for Green Bay, and they got to have a lot of confidence going to San Francisco. The youngest team in the NFL. The youngest team in the NFL. Um, a lot of people thought, and I was one of them, oh, man, I'm not sure about Aaron Rodgers. I mean, not Aaron Rodgers. Jordan Love, because he's coming after Aaron Rodgers, and this might be the most – either the most blessed or the most lucky team in the NFL. Like you said, Brett Favre to Aaron Rodgers, not a Jordan. The last, the last eight or nine games, Jordan Love has been lights out. Lights out, statistically, one of the top guys in the league. And um, again, man, they, they, are, they are somebody to look out for in the future. I think San Fran's better. I, I truly do. I think San Fran's probably going to the Super Bowl. I don't see nobody beating them if they can stay healthy. Um, but I do think Green Bay makes it a game. I think the confidence helps them. I think um, the way they ran the football with Aaron Jones last week, oh, my gosh. These guys are playing uh, really, really well. But I, just see, I think San Fran is too much. I, I, I truly do. I think Chris McCaffrey uh, coming back healthy. He was a full participant yesterday in practice. Um, I just see these guys kind of just running the ball. They got too many playmakers on offense, on defense. Um, and I think they'll – They'll handle the Packers pretty well, but it's exciting to see uh, another great Green Bay quarterback. It, it's funny because it's like you had Brett Favre for I don't know how many years in Green Bay. You got Aaron Rodgers for I don't know how many years in Green Bay. Now you got Jordan Love. When this franchise is cycling through quarterbacks year after year, every two, three years, Green Bay has a, found a steady, um, the last two decades, a steady, maybe more than the last two decades, excuse me, 
uh, last three decades, a steady dose of some solid, solid quarterback play. That's, that's kudos to that franchise and, and, and what they're able to find and help develop. They know how to find them. There is absolutely no question about that. Final moments with former Jaguar wide receiver Cecil Shorts. All right, Cecil, on Sunday, two number one overall picks at quarterback that were basically left for dead, right? People thought Jared Goff was done. People thought Baker Mayfield was done. Well, one of those guys will be playing in the NFC Championship game next week. What a story for Tampa and what a story for Detroit. That should be fun on Sunday afternoon. That'll be a good time, man. I'm I was very happy that Jared Goff got some get back. It's I can't imagine how he felt, you know, going number one overall, um, taking that team and playing well with that team, but them not thinking that he's good enough and trading him with somebody they did think is good enough. And then Matthew Stafford winning a Super Bowl there with <laughs> with the Rams, but then him getting some give back and uh, going to the Lions, Dan Campbell coming in. They run the football so darn well. They're such a physical team. Like, I love the way Detroit plays ball. They're physical on defense. They're physical on offense. They got playmakers. They just tackle well. They are a fun team um, to watch. More of an old-school football team to watch, and I absolutely love watching the Lions. Um, I expect them to win. I love what I get from Baker. Um, I'm glad he kind of this kind of revitalized his career um, and, and playing playing extremely well. But I just think uh, the Lions will be too much for him. I am happy for Baker. I am happy for uh, Goff, um, especially because, I mean, I'll switch you. When you trade somebody to, to Detroit, you're not trading them for, uh, hey, we, we think a lot about you. <laughs> we're, we're trying to get rid of you, and you're throwing somebody to the Lions in, basically, um, saying, hey, good luck, you know, if, if you can finish your career standing upright. <laughs> so, um, man, that, that's going to be a good game. Two number one, you're right. Two number one guys going at it, um, but I really think the Lions are going to be in the NFC Championship game yeah, against the 49ers. I would tend to agree with you there. And then finally, and I cannot even believe this. I mean, Kansas City Buffalo, Mahomes' first road game in the playoff. Crazy. That's insane to think about. But it's the first Crazy. time he's going to be wearing a white jersey in the playoffs on the road. And where does he have to go? He has to go to Bills Mafia. In Orchard Park, you know they are going to be ready for him. Cecil, your thoughts, Kansas City and Buffalo? This is a tough one. Um, it's hard for me to go against Mahomes simply because of who he is and what he does in the playoffs. And um, They found some things last week, feeding Rasheed Rice and him being their, their, you know, one of their top playmakers. They actually are using like Travis Kelsey as kind of a decoy. Um, and being able to find uh, Rashid open a couple of times, and he he can make some plays after he catches the ball. Josh Allen is to me he's hot or cold. I know the new offensive coordinator this year, um, his name slipped my mind. Was formerly at LSU with Joe Burrow. Yeah. He's doing a heck of a job giving James Cook the ball and running the football and and not having uh, Josh Allen try to win the game, right? Because Josh Allen can throw you into a game, and he also can throw you out of a game. Um, in my opinion, he needs to be in that 20 to 28 uh, total attempts to give your chance to uh, give yourself a, a chance to win. Because he's the type of guy, as good of an arm as he has, he doesn't think there's a bad throw out there. <laughs> he thinks no matter where Stefan Diggs, Gabe Davis, um, Don Kincaid, where these guys are, he feels like he can put it in there, which worries me, um, even at home. So I think um, I'm going to have to pick the Kansas City Chiefs 
just off of just pure experience. Patrick Mahomes, Andy Reid, hard to go against that duo. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if Josh Allen and them get out get out of that you know that kind of that um, that chokehold that Kansas City has them in. <laughs> but I just I just see Josh Josh Allen probably doing too much, turning the ball over some type of way, and then Mahomes uh, making plays and making them pay. It'll be quite the scene on Sunday night there, Kansas City at Buffalo. All right, Cecil, I don't want to put words in your mouth. I think I know where you're going. But finally, as we wrap up, give me your four winners. Who's playing on Championship Sunday? So I'm going uh, Kansas City. I'm going Detroit. I'm going San Francisco. And then I'm going, it might surprise you, but they're a young team. They have nothing to lose. I'm going to go Texans. Oh, you're calling your shot. I love it. I was wondering if you would go Houston. That is outstanding. And I don't think that's crazy, Cecil, with the way they're playing. I really don't. I'll tell you what. They got some uh, week one. I know it was week one, but they sacked Lamar four times. Um, they shut him down. They kept him in the pocket. They made him try to beat him from uh, from the pocket. And I know they developed and they got some things going right now, but a young, scary team, and for whatever the reason, Baltimore has not showed up. Like you mentioned, one playoff win for Lamar Jackson, so I think it's going to be a tough one, man. Former Jaguar wide receiver Cecil Shorts is with us every Wednesday here on Hacker After Dark. Cecil, appreciate the time, brother. Next week, we'll be breaking down the AFC Championship game and the NFC Championship game. Always thank you, my friend. Man, my pleasure, brother. Talk to you soon. After Dark on 1010XL. Yes, it is. Glad you're with us. Coming up in less than 20 minutes, Brian Sexton, Jaguars.com. will stop by. Always enjoy talking ball with Brian as far as the Jaguar season that was, but more importantly, a look ahead to the offseason that will be. And at the bottom of the 9 o'clock hour, Nolan Bianchi of the Detroit News. No relation, I asked back when I met Nolan a couple years ago. No, he's not related to Mike. I know people out there probably thinking that, but nope. Two sports writers named Bianchi, no relation. But Nolan Bianchi of the Orlando of the uh, I almost did it of the Detroit News, um, has covered Detroit for a long time. He's my guy when it comes to Detroit. And look, you do this as long as I've done it, you got guys, right? When you talk Detroit Lions, Nolan Bianchi's my guy. And he was in Ford Field last Sunday to see the Lions win their first playoff game in three-plus decades. See grown men crying in the stands. That was a cool scene, man. Sports gets you right in the feels with a situation like that. But this week in Detroit, it's going to get you in the pocketbook. This from Fox Sports. The average price for a ticket for Sunday's divisional game between Tampa and Detroit. The average, $1,186. Whew! It is the highest average ticket price ever for an NFL divisional playoff game. 1200 bucks is the average just to get in that stadium for Bucks lions Again, this will obviously be the first divisional game the Lions have played at home in over 30 years. Boy, if I would have told you a month ago that the final four in the NFC 
would be Green Bay, San Francisco, Tampa, and Detroit, you probably would not have believed me. No Dallas, no Philadelphia. Come to find out about an hour and a half ago, Dallas announced they are keeping Mike McCarthy. Keeping Mike McCarthy. Question now is, will Nick Sirianni stay in Philly? I believe he's scheduled to meet with uh, Eagles management tomorrow, so we should know tomorrow. But McCarthy, look, three straight 12 and five years, and people say, well, you can't fire somebody. And I tend to agree with you, but then I think back to like Marty Schottenheimer in San Diego back in the day. I think they went 14 and two. They were one and done in the playoffs, and he got fired. Jerry Jones isn't getting any younger. The fact that you do have a guy like Bill Belichick, Jim Harbaugh even, available, that made me wonder anyway, would he get rid of McCarthy? But apparently that is not the case. McCarthy looks like he will remain in Dallas. You would think beginning, I would say probably next week, some of these head coaching jobs are going to start getting filled. Now, we know New England was filled. They hired from within with Gerard Mayo. But there's a lot of jobs that are open, man. Atlanta, Carolina, Tennessee, Washington, Seattle, the Raiders, the Chargers. I mean, you got a lot of head coaching openings. I see in Tennessee where they're starting to do their second round of interviews. Brian Callahan, the coordinator in Cincinnati, is getting a second interview, which would lead you to believe that he is a finalist for the Titan job. Certainly, I'm keeping an eye on that with Tennessee being in the AFC South. How about this? Think about this for a second. Do you realize when the 2024 season kicks off that Doug Peterson will be the elder statesman of AFC South head coaches? It'll be year three for Doug. D'Amico Ryans and Shane Steichen will be year two, and Tennessee will have a brand new coach. Doug Peterson will have the job longer than any other AFC South coach when the season starts in 2024. As we know, the NFL obviously means not for long when it comes to head coaches. I think all four divisional games have an interesting backstory. Houston, Baltimore, Houston, surprise team, kind of the darling of the AFC Baltimore, Lamar Jackson trying to win a playoff game, right? He's won one playoff game. Denmark, I found this fascinating. What's that? Talking to some Baltimore people earlier. John Harbaugh won a Super Bowl in 2012. Yeah. Do you know how many playoff games John Harbaugh has won since that Super Bowl? Uh, With no thought, I'll say like one or two. Two. Yeah, that's what I thought. 12 years. John Harbaugh has two playoff wins. I was stunned when I heard that. Great coach, but clearly Baltimore has not got it done in the postseason since they won that Super Bowl over a decade ago. You see what the weather's like for that game? Uh, Baltimore in January. I imagine it's not going to be great. Single digits. Yeah. That probably will not bode well for C.J. Stroud, although he did go to Columbus, Ohio. He's played in the cold at least before. Green Bay and San Francisco, look, I mean, Green Bay played 
about as well as you could have played in beating Dallas. Everything went Green Bay's way, at least on the offensive side of the ball. That would lead you to believe that won't happen two weeks in a row. I think San Francisco wins. To me, the question is, can Green Bay get it into the fourth quarter, and how will Jordan Love look? Again, I cannot believe Green Bay found another quarterback, and it looks like they have. It's not fair to go from Brett Favre to Aaron Rodgers to Jordan Love. But that is what Green Bay apparently has done. We mentioned Buccaneers-Lions, one of the stories there. Two number one overall draft picks at quarterback, Baker Mayfield, Jared Goff, both were left for dead, right? Both had been given up on by teams. Jared Goff was a throwaway in the Matt Stafford deal. Baker Mayfield was tossed around like a beanbag last year from Cleveland to Carolina to the Rams. And now one of those quarterbacks is one win away from playing for an NFC championship. Pretty cool story with Mayfield and with golf. And then obviously the big game of the weekend is Kansas City-Buffalo. Mahomes' first road playoff game ever. Comes in Orchard Park, New York against the Bills Mafia. If that's not appointment viewing as a football fan, I don't know what is. This is what Buffalo has asked for. For the last three or four years, can we get Kansas City in Orchard Park in January? Well, you got them. And even though Kansas City's the defending world champion, dare I say more pressure is on Buffalo. Because they've said for a while now, we just want to get the Chiefs in our stadium. Okay, you have that opportunity. Can you take advantage of it? And keep in mind... The reason this game is in Buffalo and not in Kansas City is Kadarius Toney lined up offsides. If Kadarius Toney doesn't line up offsides, remember that game at Arrowhead, the Chiefs win that game. They have the tiebreaker. They would be the two seed, and this game would be at Arrowhead. But Kadarius Toney lined up two feet offsides, and as a result of that, Patrick Mahomes has to have his first ever road playoff game in front of the Bills Mafia there in Orchard Park. Should be an absolutely spectacular weekend. I'll give my picks later on in the week. I just hope for some good, compelling football, and I hope for some games that are still in doubt into the fourth quarter because, let's be honest, Super Wild Card Weekend left a lot to be desired. Outside of the Rams-Lions and a little bit Steelers-Bills, a lot of blowouts, man, a lot of snooze fests. Hopefully, we get much more compelling games this weekend. I think it's the best weekend of the year. Four games, eight teams, four winners to play on Championship Sunday next weekend. 641-1010 on the text line designed by Lifetime Enclosures. We are at halftime here on Hacker After Dark. One hour down, one hour to go. We will take you up until 10 o'clock. Coming up next, my buddy Brian Sexton, Jaguars.com. Let's take a brief look back on the season that was and, of course, the collapse that was. Let's look ahead to the offseason. Calvin Ridley, Josh Allen, the Trevor Lawrence extension. There's a lot to talk about. We'll do it with Brian Sexton, Jaguars.com next. Hacker After Dark on a Wednesday in Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. 
Back here on 1010XL at 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. Boy, it was bittersweet watching the playoffs this past weekend, especially the Houston Texans, the AFC South champion with a big victory over Cleveland that had to rub Jaguar fans the wrong way this weekend. It bothered me immensely. Let's talk Jaguars. Let's talk about what happened and, more importantly, where we go from here with my buddy Brian Sexton, Jaguars.com, always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. Brian, how you doing? I'm okay, Rye. I kind of felt like you did. It was uh, it was tough to watch the playoff games over the weekend with what our expectations had been, that the Jaguars would be a part of it. And um, I was uh, I was not a happy camper either. No, it was, it was tough to watch, particularly – you know, when you see teams the Jaguars beat that were there, like Houston, you know, Pittsburgh, Buffalo, the Jaguars beat three teams that are in the AFC playoffs. Brian, quickly, I didn't have you on last week because I thought both of us needed to kind of decompress and gather our thoughts a little bit. I mean, to sum up, what happened in the last six weeks of the year? Oh, boy. You know, that's a great question. Um, that going got tough with injuries and self-inflicted wounds. And to my way of thinking, the Jaguars were not tough enough to get going. And I asked Doug Peterson at his his final news conference, you know, you're going to look at at coaches, you're going to look at players and schemes and situations, and but how much time are you going to spend figuring out why? And he kind of looked at me, what do you mean why? Why this team couldn't rise to the occasion in 2023 i mean the nfl challenged him right challenged him and said chiefs bills niners Bengals, ravens and all of those essentially were home games because buffalo in london in october is a home game compared to buffalo in december in buffalo and they couldn't rise to the occasion except for buffalo you know and then they had the whole season on the line all of it was right there win and you're in five-win team that's going to come out knowing Derrick Henry was going to be the offense, knowing that they were going to be motivated to do to you what you had done to them, knowing that all you had to do was win and get in. And they showed up and played listlessly, listless. I didn't see that playoff caliber energy that I needed to see. So I just didn't think when the the going got tough that they got going this year. And I think that's something that Doug Peterson has to address. And you do that, obviously, with coaches, and you do that with more players and maybe some different players. You know, the crazy thing, Brian, last week, 10 assistant coaches were relieved of their duties, including, of course, defensive coordinator Mike Caldwell. And my question is, well, what if Ridley catches that ball late in the fourth yeah. quarter? And then and, and yeah. all of a sudden, the Jaguars get a two-point conversion, maybe win the game in overtime, and they're playing this past weekend. Would all the change have happened or – Was the change a knee-jerk reaction to losing the Tennessee game? Well, look, it seemed like a knee-jerk reaction to me. Although, you know, when you lose five of your last six, change is coming. The knee-jerk part of it to me was I had never in 30 years of the NFL seen, all right, the entire defensive staff is gone, right? You maybe see the coordinator go, and then everyone else stays until a new coordinator is hired. They look, interview, evaluate, and then guys kind of filter out and go find new places to work. To see the entire thing seemed knee-jerk, or perhaps to give Doug Peterson the benefit of the doubt, it was dramatic. And he was trying to send a message to all the players, hey, look, this is what happens when we don't do what we are built to do. 
So, you know, I, I, you can look at it any different way. Um, it was dramatic. To be sure, it was dramatic. And things had to change because you just simply cannot show up like the Jaguars defense did on Christmas Eve in Tampa and not not play well, right? And then, look, that final Sunday against Nashville, against Tennessee and Nashville, we all knew it was coming. It was a test of your football manhood to line up against a bad offensive line, but a great running back, and find a way to stop him. And guys were in the wrong gaps, and they missed their assignments, and just generally looked sloppy. When all you had to do was find 22, right? They had done it earlier in the year. So I'm not surprised. I don't think anybody should be. The defense underachieved at a lot of opportunities this year. Um, and now it's on to find something new. And, and the pressure's on, right? Because if you don't get back to the playoffs this year, then there's going to be a lot more people who are calling for a lot of different jobs. And Doug knows it. Doug knows that the window is short in this game. You have Mike McCarthy, who's won 12 games in Dallas three consecutive years and yet posted one and done in the playoffs. And, and now they're talking about what his future holds in Dallas. So it's not really any different anywhere in this league. The third year, if you don't have this thing roaring, you're going you're gonna to feel the heat. Brian Sexton of Jaguars.com. And I'll tell you, Brian, uh, when Andrew Wingard, and I appreciate Dewey's honesty. You want to talk about guys that will give you something when you talk to him in the postgame locker room. Dewey is one of those guys when he basically said, knowing microphones were rolling, right, knowing cameras were right in front of him, that there was not a lot of assignment football being played down the stretch. I took yeah. that as, oh, no, that is not good for the defensive staff. No. It's not. It means guys are freelancing. It means perhaps they don't trust in the scheme that was being thrust out there, that they worked on all week. It, that's a problem because it suggests that the trust level is not there. you you got to trust, right? The coaches have to trust that the players are going to do what they are asked to do and vice versa. The players have got to trust that the coaches have this scheme. I mean, they're there all day Monday, all night, all day Tuesday, all night, putting in the game plan and working tirelessly, coaches and players have got to have that mutual level of trust. And it sounded there in that soundbite from Dewey like that was not present. And if that's the case, then you understand why Doug pulled the ripcord and decided not to waste a lot of time, but to get on with finding someone who can take the talent that's there on that side of the ball. And I think there is talent on that side of the ball, right? And get them to play better. And I'll use Devin Lloyd as the prime example. Devin Lloyd, is a supremely talented football player. But he didn't look like it on the final Sunday of the year. And at various times during the season, he didn't either. But he's got all the measurables. He's got every bit of what you need to play linebacker in the NFL. Someone's got to take that, and somebody's got to carve that, right? Take that piece of granite and come up with a sculpture. They've got to be able to create that player. They've got to find a way to maximize the talent that's there because there's talent there. Brian, the fan base, and look, they're frustrated, obviously, and they're sure. coming after everybody, and they're back after Trent Baalke. And, and, and the one thing about Baalke I'll say is this, and, and I think I'm trying to be as objective as I can. I think he's done some good things in free agency. If you're going to kill him yep. for bad moves, check mark Christian Kirk, huge check mark Evan Ingram, Foyer Oluwakin. I mean, he has done some good things. The draft, I think that's where you start to lose me a little bit. And going back to last year, hindsight's twenty twenty, and, and I get that, and I drank the Kool-Aid like we all did, but this was not a 13-4 and four team last year. They were 4-8. and eight. 
They rattled off five in a row to get into the playoffs and then obviously beat the Chargers and come from behind fashion. But for a team that goes 10-9 and nine, to essentially what it appears to me say, you know what, we're good. We're going to run it back. It's built. We're good. And to not really do anything as far as adjusting the roster, I know they had salary cap constrictions. I get that. But when you're prized free agent as a, guy, a kicker that Denver cut in May and you didn't even know he was going to be available until he was cut – Boy, they did nothing in free agency, Brian, and that really looks bad in retrospect. Well, look, they swung hard the year before, spent a record amount of money, $175 million guaranteed dollars, and they knew when they did that, <clears throat> they knew that they weren't going to have the flexibility this offseason to be able to go and do a whole lot, right? And, and Trent talks all the time, and, and owners like to hear this about protecting the cap and protecting the owner's money. And he did an excellent job in taking a franchise that in 2020 and 2021 had really no talent. And he mined free agency and you know had to go overpay some guys, right? I mean, Brandon Sheriff clearly has not been that five-time Pro Bowl guard that the Jaguars hoped when they signed him away from Washington. You know, there are some guys like that that they didn't get as much value. Uh, a Foley uh, uh, Fadakasi, good player, you know, not, not worth the money that they gave him. But they had to overpay to lift the franchise out of the one in 15 muck, right? That kind of, you know, you get your foot stuck in the mud and you kind of got a pull to get it out. This franchise was hopelessly stuck in that situation. And so Trent did what he could and went and found players who could make this franchise better. And they won nine games in back-to-back years, won a playoff game. Is it what we all want? No, it's not. But it is a major lift that other people had tried through the years. I know you've been around here for all of them. Couldn't quite do. So you got to give him credit for that. You know, with respect to the draft, they had a lot of draft picks this year. And we didn't see a whole lot from a lot of those guys. The first pick did great. Anton Harrison had an excellent rookie year. Uh, Brenton Strange, Tank Bixby, we didn't see enough of those guys. Not nearly enough. Antonio Johnson, you know, fifth-round pick, guy that, really came through at the end of the season and started to show what he has. It's just way too early to take apart the 2023 draft. It's a three-year process. I'm not trying to say that Trent doesn't deserve some criticism. Uh, You know, you can look at Luke Fortner in the middle of that offensive line and they defended him, you know, end over end this year. I mean, when anybody criticized him at all, Hey, do you know what we asked him to do? Yeah. Well, look on the first designated running play of the season, 10.25 10.25 to play in the first quarter in Indianapolis. He got stuffed by Grover Stewart, and ETN was stuck behind the line of scrimmage. And on the most important play, the final called rushing play of the season, Fortner was on his back and basically tackled Trevor Lawrence, kept him from being able to reach the end zone on the most important play of the season. That's a problem in the middle of the line. He doesn't want to admit that yet. He thinks you can still develop the guy. But I think overall, when you look at what Balky did to get the Jaguars here, He has done what other people could not do and get them to a position where they could compete and win on Sundays from a talent perspective. It's a good point. He has done some nice things. There's no doubt about that. But clearly the fan base is looking for somebody. And I think it's very apparent that Press Taylor is going to be back. And I think the criticism of Press Taylor, Brian, is maybe a little more unwarranted than Trent Baalke. I think fans have to come after somebody. Ironically, not many of them are coming after Caldwell, and he's the guy that gets shown the door. Press is still here, and Baalke is still here. But 
it is odd. The I mean, it's nice to be loyal, right? And there's nothing wrong sure. with loyalty. But boy, Doug Doug Peterson takes loyalty maybe to a different level when it comes to Press Taylor, both in Philly and now here in Jacksonville. Well, look, I I know I've said this a couple of times to you. I don't know whether we've said this on the air, but I I just I couldn't distinguish between Press Taylor and Doug Peterson because. Doug and Press are side by side. This is Doug's offense, and Doug has the kill spot on his headset. Hey, coach, no, no, we're doing this. Hey, coach, no, no, no. Remember what we said we're going to do here. I mean, he is – Press is calling Doug's offense. Were there plays that I hated this year? Well, absolutely. But we've had this discussion also, right? Good plays are ones that work. Bad plays are ones that don't. In the the, the Buccaneers game, they're down 10-0, and there's a completion to Calvin Ridley down to the 30-yard line. Next play is a reverse, and Ridley gets stopped at the 42, going deep, trying to get around the corner. And I hated that call. But when you look at it, when you go back and you watch the film, you see that Tim Jones, if he just gets a body on Yaya Dobby, right? Just a body. Calvin's by him and picks up 16, 18 yards on the play, but he can't body him up. So now who do you blame for that? Is that Tim Jones for missing a block? Or is that press Taylor for calling the play and we can go back and forth and back and forth I just think it's too easy again you mentioned fans come after somebody okay it's just too easy to go after the play calling and the coordinator I just don't I I don't know how to make it any more simple this is Doug's offense and Doug has the final say on every play and Doug and press work all week long and press is executing what he and Doug worked on I think if you want to blame anybody for the offense you go right to the head coach what's interesting about that though and you interact with fans every day just like I do they're not going after the head coach this fan base obviously still likes Doug it's all about bulky it's all about press Taylor I do agree with you though if in 2024 the team doesn't make the playoffs I think the narrative at that point will begin to change towards the head coach final moment yeah, there's no time in this league anymore no. right I mean Last year was a was, was you know was the the raising of the of the Lazarus right I mean is it come on out let's go let's see if we can get out of this tomb that we're in and create some opportunity and they did and it was exciting and we all had reason to believe that this year would be better and at eight and three weren't we all thinking that right we were all thinking hey this guy's got this thing rolling here and then the Bengals game the missed field goal the quarterback gets hurt and all of a sudden. It all falls apart. So I'm still processing, trying to figure out, you know, if I know why. Um, And and I know Doug and his coaching staff and Trent and his scouting staff are doing the exact same thing right now. But time is, is no longer a luxury in the NFL. Owners do not sit still. Final moments with Brian Sexton, Jaguars.com. No better evidence of that than our brethren in Nashville. Mike Vrabel was coach of the year, and the Titans were the number one seed two and a half years ago. And now Vrabel is out of a job. It happens very, very quickly. Brian, the business of football takes over this offseason. Trevor Lawrence now three years in, can start negotiating a contract. He and his reps, obviously, we saw what Burrow got last year. We saw what Herbert got last year. One would assume that Trevor's agent is going to want to start at that point. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Is Are the Jaguars, in your opinion, going to dive into Trevor's long-term future here this offseason? Well, I think they still very much believe he's their guy. And from that perspective, you do start 
the negotiation because it does take time. This isn't something that's going to be done in March or April or May. So I think it, it makes good business sense to start evaluating that because you're trying to set up your roster and your salary cap for the next five to seven years that he'll be under contract for you. So that's a long-term vision, and it takes time to put together. Here's my thing, and I was asked this shortly after the Jaguars were beaten last week in Nashville. Are you worried about the quarterback? No, I'm not worried. Here's why. I don't have to pay him right now, right? I've got his fourth year, and I've got his fifth-year option. You would rather pay him because it means he had a tremendous season. But if you have doubts, if you're the coach, if you're the general manager, you're the offensive coordinator, and you need to see some things, well, you've got time, right? You've got time to get him through another season. You've got time to get all the preparation work done and have a longer evaluation window because you don't have to pay him this year. I hope that makes sense. I'm not saying you don't want to, but you don't have to, which means you're not going to go out and sign a crazy contract and assign him $60 million that a year from now you regret doing. You've got time so you can be patient. But when you have a guy that you believe in, and I've got no indication that the Jaguars do not believe in him. In fact, every indication I get is that they believe very much in him. And they have to do things for him like the Bengals did for Burrow, which is they got to go build the offensive line. I mean, if the first three picks next year were offensive line, offensive line, offensive line, nobody should complain mm -mm. as long as they pick good players. Because keeping him on his feet, keeping him protected is the number one goal of this franchise in the offseason. So... They're going to get to work on it because they have to. But when they execute it, when do they pull the trigger? They've got the leverage on this one now because Trevor did not have a great season. So you need to do nothing but focus on getting him better, whether that's him or his offensive line. And look, I don't want to jump to conclusions, and I completely agree with you, but my concern would be there. Well, the business of the NFL is you get you pay the guy after year three, like they did with Burrow and Herbert. And if the Jaguars do not do that, I guess Miami didn't do it with Tua. That would be another example. And we I, we have no indication of this. I don't want to jump to a, a rash decision here. But because you don't pay him after year three, could that be a sticking point with Trevor and his representation moving forward because Burrow and Herbert both got their deals after year three? Well, I'm sure, and obviously we're a, a society that works on precedent in so many ways, but I am sure that the Jaguars will be patient and let this play out a bit and see where he's at. You know, if, you, if I recall right, Burroughs' deal came in August. Yeah, right before the season. Last year. Yeah, so there's eight, nine months. Uh, and by that time, you may feel completely different. You may feel much better about him, about what you've been able to do with him, you're going to pay him anyway, right, because you believe he's your quarterback. And again, I said I've got every indication from people inside that building he is their quarterback. Uh, they're going to spend the offseason building around him. You know, Maybe by the time we get to August, it will become much more clear what they should do. It's just you don't need to panic and start writing checks. Panic's the wrong word. You don't need to be knee-jerk and just start writing checks to get your salary cap in order. The Jaguars have room. The Jaguars have people that they can move on from this year that will give them even more room, for instance, to get Josh Allen and Calvin Ridley done. You've got that flexibility. You don't need to get the quarterback done to get the other things done. So be patient. Brian Sexton, Jaguars.com. Brian, 60 seconds to go. We'll obviously have you back on around the start of free agency. Prior to that is the franchise tag situation. 
in a perfect world, right, you would sign Allen long-term and maybe tag Ridley to keep your second-round pick away from Atlanta. I think that's the ideal scenario. But what do you think happens between now and the beginning of March when it comes to Allen and Ridley? Well, I don't know anything about the Ridley situation. Um, you know, that's an evaluation that still has to be made. What do we have in him? How do we use him? You know, what's out there if we choose to move on? But the Josh Allen thing is absolutely front burner. Get this deal done. You know what the biggest contract is, right? I mean, that's Nick Bosa out in San Francisco. So you're working somewhere between today's market and thinking, you know, he's probably going to want to come in in the, in the high 20s. You're going to want something that's a little bit lower than that. You just know what it is. It's going to cost you a boatload of money. Uh, the cap takes a, a, a decent jump this year. It takes a bigger jump next year. I don't think there's any reason why they can't get a deal done with Josh Allen in the next six weeks, right? I, I can't imagine the the, um, the new uh, league year begins, what, March 14th? So you've got plenty of time to get that done. You know what the market's going to be. And he is the type of person, let alone player, but he is the type of person that you want in your organization. He's that good. And you need him on the field and in your locker room and representing you in the community. So my guess is, is that the Jaguars will have something done by the time free agency begins with him because it gives them a lot of flexibility with Calvin. Brian Sexton, Jaguars.com. Brian, terrific job, man. Thank you so much for joining us as often as you did this year. I really, really appreciate it. We'll have a little downtime now. Let's do it again about the start of free agency, and we'll see where things stand at that point. You know where to find me, Ryan. I always appreciate it. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, we are glad you are with us. Eight teams remain in the NFL playoffs. Of course, the Jaguars said bye-bye long ago. The divisional round consists for the AFC, four from the NFC, and the Detroit Lions for the first time in three-plus decades won a playoff game last week, and they are at home again. One more home win away from playing for the NFC Championship. With that, our guy up in Detroit is Nolan Bianchi of the Detroit News. He's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Nolan, how you doing? Doing good. How about you, Ryan? Nolan, we're good, man. Thank you for the time. And All right, I'll give you the floor. Ford Field last Sunday night. Great game. The Rams gave the Lions a great battle, but Detroit ultimately wins it. We saw tears in that stadium 30-plus years since the last playoff win. Nolan, what was that moment like for that city? It was pure catharsis. I mean, like, just from the beginning of the game, 45 minutes before the game, an hour before the game, uh, I'd never seen seats that full uh, that long before a game. They were chanting Jared Goff's name uh, loudly with, with an hour to kick off. He runs out. Stafford runs out. It, it was just like the, the entire week was so surreal and building up to it. You, it was kind of hard to imagine that at the end of the day, they, they were actually going to play this football game. It wasn't all just pageantry and, and talks about storylines and stuff like that. Um, but by the time we finally got to it, the, the Lions fans showed up and they made life uncomfortable for Matthew Stafford. He was obviously still very, very good uh, in the loss. But um, at the end of the day, like you kind of, point to the the two timeouts that Sean McVay was forced to take early on in the second half 
they kind of really put them in a bind for for the better half of that fourth quarter. So uh, that is something that can be directly attributed to the uh, to the atmosphere and, and the frenzy and and all that good stuff. And yeah, when they went into victory formation, I I. I don't even think I could hear myself think it was, it was, like I said, pure catharsis coming out. It was wonderful to watch. And look here in Jacksonville, we know all about suffering, right? Jacksonville and Detroit are kind of like the, on the same path over the last 20 years or so, but we have at least had some postseason success. Detroit had not won a playoff game. I believe what 1992 or something ridiculous like that. 30 plus years ago, going back to the days of, of Barry Sanders and the crew. I mean, and to see the fans with legitimate tears in their mm-hmm. eyes, that was a that was a powerful moment for me. I can't imagine what it was like for you, a guy that lives there. Yeah, and I grew up here, and you know, obviously, my entire life, I, I've been watching the Lions, and it's it's always been really interesting in my house because my mom was raised in Pittsburgh, and my dad is from Detroit. So when it came to football, they were almost coming to from these polar opposite worlds where the the Steelers, they couldn't do anything to miss the playoffs and the lions couldn't do anything to make the playoffs and win a playoff game. So, uh, you know, that was always a a fun thing to watch growing up and definitely, you know, when that they, they go into victory formation, you start thinking about all those things. You start thinking about the people who you used to watch games with the people, uh, who are the reason why you're there in the first place. And I'm fortunate enough. My parents actually, you know, got season tickets last year. So I'm able to find them in the crowd and stuff like that. So, um, that's what it's all about at the end of the day is, is sharing the moment with the, the people you love. And, and so, yeah, it's, it was it was really great to watch. Nolan Bianchi of the Detroit News here with us on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Nolan, Dan Campbell had an introductory press conference talk about eating kneecaps, right? And it was kind of a punchline, and people were like, who is this guy, the, the former interim coach in New Orleans? What's he going to do there? And good grief, what a hire. He and Brad Holmes, the GM, came in at the same time, and what they have done to that franchise is nothing short of remarkable. Yeah, and it's kind of amazing because, you know, the the line for years around here has been begging for the fours to sell the team, and I think that for a long time fans had a right to feel that way. But if you look at uh, Sheila Hamp's, you know, resume in the, the short time that she's been, you know, officially in as, as principal owner – she took over in the summer of 2020. A couple of months later, she fires Matt Patricia. A couple of months later, she makes the decision to uh, not only, you know, be take the lead on on hiring the new regime, but she also takes the lead on deciding to hire them separately. And that took a lot of criticism at the time: is how are you not going to let this GM pick his new coach and and all this other stuff? That was seen as the same old Lions kind of move, and it has really worked out well beyond any fans wildest dreams i mean within three years they've done something that uh very few if one team in the history of lions football has been able to do uh and so yeah they the the whole organization i think you know at, at the top level really deserves a lot of credit for uh just the the seriousness that they have kind of taken this next era this next regime whatever you want to call it uh, and, and that starts with Sheila Ham. It's hard not to love Dan Campbell, too, right? I mean, watching him, you and I talked about this in the preseason. Watching him from afar, I love everything about Dan Campbell. You get to cover him on a daily basis up there for the Detroit News. I mean, what is it like to be around that guy? Because his energy is just unreal. Yeah, it's uh, it's everything you see on TV and then some. Like it, Some of my uh, colleagues talk about, like, you, you have to realize that you can't take uh, a coach like him 
for granted because you know when 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 teams come in for the uh the training camp and the joint practices and stuff like that you kind of get a reminder of how just uptight and and you know i guess refusal to share information uh some of these coaches are i remember you know brian dable when he came in he, he didn't want to say anything that might give away anything that he was looking to do but the thing about dan campbell is we we kind of chuckle about it is he can't lie you know if you ask him a question that he doesn't want to answer. He won't lie. He'll just say he can't answer that or he'll, you know, maybe put his, his foot in his mouth a little bit. But that's something that a lot of people really love and, and respect about him at the end of the day is that um, ability to just be honest with you and, and level with you on a human level. And I think that that's probably why he resonates with his players as well. I mean, that's something we hear about a lot is, you know, it's it's he's a straight shooter. He's not going to, you know, cut you any crap. And uh yeah, he, he's as straightforward and honest as it gets. And when it comes with that kind of energy, you know, it's in, it's infectious in a way, and it's it's fun to cover. A couple of more for Nolan Bianchi of the Detroit News, Tampa Bay and Detroit on Sunday. The winner will play for the NFC Championship game. When the trade for Matt Stafford was made with L.A., Jared Goff was sent to Detroit. He was kind of like the afterthought, right? And then, and then Stafford goes on to win a Super Bowl, and then Goff was really the afterthought. Well, he's not the afterthought anymore. I mean, you talk about the turnaround for that franchise, as much credit as we've given Campbell and Holmes, and with good reason, boy, probably third on that list might be Jared Goff and the absolute resurgence of his career there in the Motor City. 100%. He deserves a huge round of applause for the way that he handled himself in the lead-up to this game. You know, obviously he uh, wasn't going to make it about him. He never was going to do that, but um, I think it, it, it takes a – a certain kind of person to be able to weather those questions and not really slip up, not really, you know, be, be nothing but gracious and, and cordial. And, uh, and then to come out and have the performance that he did. I remember when they started chanting his name, I was like, Oh boy, here we go. Like, will will he deliver? And, and I think that that at the end of the day was the big question going into this game throughout this week is are the lions going to be outdone by poor quarterback play in this game uh and, and lose at the hands of Matthew Stafford but that didn't happen he was 22 for 27 uh about as good as you can reasonably ask for made a ton of big throws uh and he was great and I think what's interesting about this uh this game they got coming up against Tampa is Baker Mayfield is a guy who was kind of not too dissimilar uh from you know from from where he came from in the Bucks. you know they kind of remind me of last year's Lions a lot except for they got in at the end um, and so it, it's a really compelling matchup, and I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, watching it. And definitely not not mad I don't have to travel this weekend. So I yeah. mean, this is a phenomenal situation, right? For starters, you wait 30 years for a home playoff game, and then because Dallas just gets bamboozled by Green Bay, you get to wait seven days before another one. So you're at home, the Lions are. They're at Ford Field against Tampa Bay, for the right to go to the NFC Championship game. I mean, the Lions could not have scripted a better situation for themselves. No, and you're coming out of that Dallas game, you know, a lot of fans feeling like, oh, you know, they got screwed and this has always happens. NFL wanted Dallas to get that two seed, you know. And, and, and interestingly enough, like, a lot of fans wanted Dallas. I don't know, like, if, it, at, at, you know, end of the day, all said and done, I don't think there are too many fans who would have preferred to go to Dallas than to – you know, have, have the Bucks come to Detroit. But um, I do think that there was a certain level of like fearlessness and just like aggression and, and taste for revenge that, that fans had. But you're right, it couldn't have worked out 
any better and, and you know that that play ultimately ends up not mattering except for you know a, a loss on the Lions record that uh, didn't end up hurting him when it came to seeding and, and their ability to host a home playoff game and now you know it seems kind of crazy but they're they're a win over the Bucks and a Packers win over the, the 49ers away from hosting an NFC championship game at their place which given the way the Packers looked on Sunday doesn't sound too crazy. Final moments Nolan Bianchi of the Detroit News. All right Nolan as far as the game Tampa Bay, Detroit, Sunday, 3 o'clock. Here's the thing, and you tell me. I mean, Detroit, everybody in America is rooting for them. I'm, I'm sure you got to feel that, right? I mean, Detroit's mm-hmm. kind of like the darling right now. I think everybody, maybe outside of Minneapolis and Chicago and Green Bay, are, are rooting for them nationally. And yet here comes Tampa Bay. There is not a soul on this planet outside of Tampa, Florida, that's going to pick the Buccaneers to go in there and win. So as much as Detroit is the darling, boy, a loss on Sunday would be very deflating, would it not? No, you're absolutely correct, especially because the the Lions went down to Tampa Bay and they beat the Buccaneers earlier this season, 20-6, to and they didn't have Jonah Jackson. They didn't have uh, Jameer Gibbs. They lost David Montgomery halfway through the game. They didn't have C.J. Gardner-Johnson. Um, you know, and, and so I think this is a situation where you're kind of like looking at it like on paper, yeah, they should probably – beat them again but this is a very different bucks team and and you know kind of like i just alluded to i would you know hesitate to uh i guess urge people to to feel that way um because of the way that they close the season and you know remember those feelings that you had as a lions fan at the end of last season of like man you know if, if we would have gotten into the playoffs no team would have won in the playoffs that's the bucks right now um and you know maybe maybe they beat a team who was down and out in the philadelphia eagles on monday night maybe not uh, but I, I know they're going to be ready to play uh, when they come here next Sunday. And, and if Detroit overlooks them, which I don't think they will because it is playoff time and uh, Dan Campbell always has his guys ready, but uh, you know, it'll be a long night. You know, for a guy that covers the NFC, Nolan, like you do, as we begin to wrap up, if I would have told you a month ago that in the divisional round, there'd be no Philadelphia, there'd be no Dallas. I mean, how surprised are you the way the NFC playoffs have shook out? I wouldn't have believed you, to be honest with you. I mean, like, you watch that Eagles team, and you can kind of see the wheels start to wobble a little bit. But, I mean, with them and the Cowboys, I would have never predicted that because the, as somebody who never believes in the Cowboys and is always like, yeah, yeah, we'll see. We'll see how this goes in January and whatever. Uh, I was bought into the Cowboys this year. I was like, man, this team is, is, is actually looking pretty good. This might be the year they get back to the NFC Championship game. Uh, they looked unbeatable, especially at home. So I was I was not surprised the Packers won that game because they, they looked very good down the stretch, too. I was very, very surprised that Dallas got embarrassed at home. Uh, and I think they won like 16 straight at home going into that game. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm stunned at the way these teams have exited, but also not necessarily surprised by the teams that have won, if that makes any sense. Nolan, do they win on Sunday, or are we talking next week about the NFC Championship game? Yeah, I, I think they do. I think they do. Uh, I don't know if it'll be by a ton, uh, but I, I think you know the the spread I saw last night was five and a half. That sounds about right um, within a score, uh, and it's going to be an interesting football game. The 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 Bucks put them under a lot of pressure uh, in that first meeting, and and the Lions didn't necessarily respond as well as they they probably have in some of their better games this season. So. Definitely going to be needing a, a better game out of that uh, offensive line. And, you know, the the Bucks have 
proven the ability to stop the run. We've, we've been talking about it all year with this Lions team about why they might be able to make a run in the playoffs. It's because they can run the ball. It's because they can stop the run. Uh, and the, the same can kind of be said for this Bucks team. Um, and so if they're not able to, uh, to handle their business in the trenches, it, it's, it's going to be a fight. Nolan Bianchi of the Detroit News. He's our guy up in Detroit when it comes to the Lions. Again, Tampa Bay and Detroit on Sunday. The winner will be playing for the NFC Championship next week. Nolan, best of luck to the Lions. If Detroit gets the victory, hopefully we can dial your phone again next week, my friend. Absolutely. I'll be around. Thanks, Ryan. I appreciate it. And thank you to Nolan Bianchi of the Detroit News for joining us tonight. I love some of the stories Nolan had about the scene in Detroit last week, the first playoff win for the Lions in 30-plus years. And you could tell the emotion that the fan base had up there and appreciate Nolan for taking time out for us tonight here on Hacker After Dark. My big takeaway of the evening, I go back to the things I was talking about in hour number one, and it's interesting, you know, People here in Jacksonville thought the sky is falling and still do 10 days now after the Jaguar season came to an end in Nashville, and it sucked. It was the biggest collapse in the history of the Jaguar franchise. There is certainly no sugarcoating that, nor should there be. But you look at the four AFC teams that are left, right? The Jaguars went 1-1 one one against Houston this year. They did beat them. They beat the Buffalo Bills. They lost to Kansas City in a hard-fought 17-9 game, and it was 10-7 against Baltimore late in the third quarter. So as bad as it was for the Jaguars at the end of the year, again, beat Houston, beat Buffalo, lost to Kansas City by a touchdown, were in the game with the Ravens late in the third quarter. It's just funny how when you think about now the perception of the Jaguars compared to when you look at it like that, maybe a little different. Again, no sugarcoating the collapse. It was awful, but the Jaguars still are maybe not as far away as we would have thought. Stay healthy. We'll see what happens in 2024. Well, that'll just about wrap it up for what has been a very busy Wednesday night edition of Hacker After Dark here on 1010XL and on 92.5 FM. We certainly appreciate you guys hanging out with us this evening. We have a ton of people to thank. Again, Nolan Bianchi of the Detroit News. He's our guy up in Detroit. We appreciate him breaking down the Lions and the Buccaneers as our divisional round preview continues and will continue into Thursday and Friday. Thank you to Brian Sexton, Jaguars.com. Always enjoy talking Jaguar football with Brian Sexton, including looking ahead to what should be a very eventful offseason here in Jacksonville. And back in hour number one, my buddy Cecil Shorts, former wide receiver for the Jacksonville Jaguars. You get him every week here on Hacker After Dark. Love talking not only Jaguars with Cecil, but we're taking a look at the four division games. He likes Kansas City. He likes Detroit. He likes San Francisco. And he's calling the big-time upset of Houston going into Baltimore and winning. I don't know if I agree with that, but I certainly like his approach and taking a much different take than a lot of other people. We'll be back tomorrow night on a Thursday, and we will do it all over again beginning at 8 o'clock. Dylan Denmark was your producer tonight. Dylan, great job as always. I'm the hacker Ryan Green. And again, Jacksonville, thank you for spending part of your Wednesday evening with us right here on Hacker After Dark 
on 1010XL and on 92.5 FM. So for all of us here on HAD, have an absolutely terrific remainder of your Wednesday evening, and we will do it all over again tomorrow night on a Thursday beginning at 8 o'clock. Until then, good night, Jacksonville.